Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network. The Best Ever You Show is here to help you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. With this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. And now, here is your host, Elizabeth. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening today, and welcome to the Best Ever You show. I uh, wanted to just let you know that we have updated our website. It's at besteveryou.com. And so it's all new, all sorts of new information. And we took our old website that we've had for the past, oh, seven or eight years, and it is located. I didn't move any of the content over or anything. I just put it in a holding area so you can find it if you want to. It's at besteveryounetwork.com. So all the information there is still preserved. We're moving over content. We're just sort of giving us a new look and uh, new contributors and all sorts of good stuff. But this is our first show of the fall season, and I'm so happy to have Dr. Rajiv Party. I want to make sure I say your name right. Yes, did I get it right, Doctor? Yeah, yeah okay, you did. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for being here, literally. And um, you, you're a world-renowned cardiac anesthesiologist, and you were chief of anesthesiology at Bakersfield Heart Hospital for more than a decade before you had your own life-changing near-death experience. And so you're here to tell us about that and your new book, Dying to Wake Up. And for all of you listening, his website is dyingtowakeup.com. You can find him on Facebook under his name. I'm going to just go ahead and spell your name if you don't mind. It's Dr. So Dr. R-A-J-I-V-P-A-R-T-I, so that people can find you on Facebook and Twitter. I'm sure you can just Google him or go to his website anyway, and it all links together. But just in case you, you all want to see that while we're talking on air. But welcome, and thank you for being with us. It's my pleasure to be here. I like so the title you, of your show, you know. Thank you very much. Yeah, I uh, I have my own little brush with death. And it sort of straightened me out as well. And so I completely understand what you're talking about. Um, I, I nearly died a couple times from allergic reactions. Um, wow. To almonds and fun things like that. I have terrible, uh, terrible food allergies. Um, so life-threatening anaphylaxis and things like that. So I understand you, but I, oh, I just, I, our audience, everybody loves to hear somebody who doesn't give up. And... Um, you clearly have not done that. In fact, you not only didn't give up, you you went full steam ahead with everything. So, can you can you tell us what your what your life was like before you had this experience? What you were what you were doing? How this all came about? You know, just give us some history about you. Tell yeah, us about sure. yourself. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, basically, okay. my life before my near death experience. Excepting for a period of when I was 17 or 18 when I became very religious, when I started medical school, like questioning what is, while doing dissections, you know, this person was alive two months ago, somebody's son, somebody's father. Other than that period when I wanted to become a monk, my life became very materialistic. I came to America in 1982. The spiritual or the Raj, who wanted to serve the poor in India in the remote villages, was left behind in India. And succeeding in status and in money became my only motto. 
So I went for the American dream, not only American dream, but it became a runaway American dream. Like I did a residency in pediatrics, where pediatrics was the lowest paying specialty. So I was not making the money I wanted to make, so I went back and did a residency in anesthesiology. And uh, I moved to California because my sister was here in uh, near Fresno. And uh, 28 years I was in Bakersfield. I'm still in Bakersfield because my wife uh, has a job practice here. And every few years I was building a new house and moving to a bigger house. And so was with my cars and status. Like one time I had a Hummer, a sports BMW. Every three years I was changing cars. And my last house was a, a 10, 11 square foot house, 1,000 square foot house with golf course, lake, and everything. House was so huge that we had to use with kids intercom like in the hospitals or iPhones within the house. <laughs> I was texting you from the basement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, my mortgage and tax was about $15,000 a month, so I was working very hard to keep up with these payments. And so a stage came when I would question whether I owned the house or the house owned me. And for my stress management, if I was not on call, my typical thing was to have a drink of scotch. One will become two, two will become three. Then I'll be sleepy, go to sleep, and wake up in the morning go to work, and when I was driving in the morning at 6.30, I would be talking to the stockbroker because it is 9.30 in New York, talking to my nurse for my first case, and also driving and eating a sandwich and drinking a coffee. So I was doing multitasking to the maximum one could. So that was a very stressful life I was leading. Then I got think- my wake-up call. Yeah. Yeah going to say, do you think that's what made you sick? Yeah. Uh, maybe, because, you know, 70% of the modern-day diseases are lifestyle diseases. You know, if we lead a balanced life, you know, I'm not saying not to make money or not to uh, achieve things, but in balance, then 70% of the modern diseases will go away. You know, diabetes, high blood pressure, you know, heart disease, all those things stress, uh, strokes, you know, all those things are related. So in my case, uh, it was August of 2008 when uh, I got a call from my urologist that I have a good news and a bad news. The bad news was that I have prostate cancer, and the good news was that it was in very early stages. So if we remove the prostate, I'll be cured. So I flew all the way to Florida uh, to get it done laparoscopically through buttonholes. And the surgery went fine. You know, I was cured of cancer, but it left me with complications. Few of the complications were especially incontinence, and wherever they did the surgery, anastomosis of the main uh, tube, urethra, it would scar up, so I needed about seven surgeries because they had to do laser or cold knife to cut the scar. Now, two and a half years passed by, and my incontinence didn't get better. 
Then I consulted a doctor at UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, and he recommended that uh, we do another surgery to install a, what is known as an artificial urinary sphincter, which will give me control of my bladder. Right. So how how does all of that, which sounds miserable, by the way, um, bring you to the point, it sounds like you're okay at that point then, right? How, how does a near-death experience come into to play with with that? Cause it sounds like maybe you found a solution for what, you know, for all of the extra surgeries that you needed. Did something else happen? Yeah, exactly. So I went ahead and got the surgery done at UCLA in the early part of December. And then after the surgery, few days later, I started having very high fever and trembling, and the doctors put me on oral antibiotics. Then they tried IV antibiotics, strong IV antibiotics like vancomycin, gentamicin, and I was not getting better. So they told me to fly, not, uh, to, they told me to come to UCLA, and, uh, which was about 110 miles drive from Bakersfield. So my wife drove me there. Looking back, we should have asked for medical transport. But anyway, I was so nervous and scared that, uh, you know, I want her. Maybe this is my last night. And she was crying because it goes through what is known as a grape point, you know, mountainous area uh, that, right. you know, something happens. What will she do? Anyway, so when I reached USC, UCLA, this... Uh, the conclusion was a urinary sphincter, artificial urinary sphincter, is after all a foreign body. It had become a source of infection, and so they needed to do emergency surgery to take it out. Otherwise, it won't. It can progress to full-blown sepsis. Sepsis can go into septic shock, and which has a 70% mortality. So that's when the emergency surgery was happening. 20 minutes into the surgery, I found myself floating near the ceiling. And my first reaction was, you know, I must be hallucinating or somebody mixed up some anesthesia drugs. Because as an anesthesiologist, I know there is a drug called ketamine, which does give an out-of-body experience. And I'll check the records that was not used. And it is very, very rarely used in adults. I don't think so. I ever used it in adults. I have used it in kids for burn dressing changes. And the people use it in veterinary medicine. Yeah, my son just, my son broke his arm last year sliding into second base and they gave him a round of that. And <laughs> yeah, I, I completely understand what you're, what you're saying with that drug. It's a, it's a wild one. But, but so you didn't have that. And so, no, I didn't have that. Um, let me back up for just one second. So, did you die in the? Did you? I don't know if the at the medical term is die or whatever. But in, during the surgery, did did they were they actually trying to revive you or did you die or what happened? To I didn't. You? I did not have a flat line. Okay. You know, that's one of the ways we define uh, death is you know when uh, there's a flat line. I did not have a flat right. line. Okay. And then my consciousness, I could see my body being operated. And uh, 
I could hear the anesthesiologist tell a joke, which I remember to this day, but I can't repeat it because it was a dirty joke. And I realized, you know, as an anesthesiologist, part of my job is to uh, remember jokes and keep the room entertained. And from there, my consciousness went to different realms, and one of the realms was appeared to be what I would call a hellish realm. I could hear souls crying and wailing, and there was fire, there was thunderstorm. And my first question, especially being raised as a Hindu, why am I here? What have I done? And I asked for help. And the person who showed up was my father, who had died 20 years ago. And I had a very complex and difficult relationship with him. You know, he used to beat me up, you know, uh, because he himself was abused by his father, and he was 18 years old when India and Pakistan came into being. And there was genocide on both sides, and he had to run from what became Pakistan with the hiding among dead bodies. So. So he had a lot of trauma in his life, which he projected on my life. So he came to my rescue, but there I realized that he did love me. Yeah, I have, I have so many, I have so many questions, but I, I just kind of want to keep listening to you. Is that okay? Just yeah. Keep, I just love. I, I'd love to know how you ended up there. Um, because most people, I guess, when they talk about near-death experiences, they talk about the light and their mother, their father, you know, someone that they know and so forth. So this is, you're one of the first people I've ever heard that says that they actually went to this this dark this dark place first. Yeah. What do you think that meant, and, and how did you get out of that? You know, well, it, uh, you know, how you get out of it by, repenting that, uh, you know, what I had leading so far was a very selfish, mean life that I wanted to get ahead in life at any cost. I really didn't, I was a technically very good anesthesiologist, and but I didn't have that empathy or connection to my patients. And similarly, my father was a, a abusive to me verbally and physically. I was not physically abusive to my kids, especially my elder son, but I started to become verbally abusive to my children, especially the elder son. And the main thing is ask for help. You know, there are divine beings like angels, ascended masters, your parents who are there to help you. And from there, my father led me towards the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so he he helped you. I I wonder did did you have any kind of conversation with him? Did he say he was sorry? He, did was there any Yeah, any, you know like uh, it was all telepathic that it was more a feeling trans, transference, you know like uh, but he did say one thing that uh, uh, what he had told me on his deathbed that if you keep your consciousness clear and you're truthful to your own self, the divine, the universe will take care of you. And those words uh, I had forgotten when I was, when he died in Fresno after a high, uh, bypass surgery. Yeah, 
And from there in the tunnel, I had a review of my present life. The review was in the sense a 360-degree review where I could feel what the other person was feeling with my actions, good or bad. It was not necessarily all bad, you know, I've been good too. So what other person was feeling with my actions. Now, for somebody listening to the show who might be like, yeah, right, you know, that doesn't happen, I don't believe it, you know, and, and you may have at one time been sort of like that too in your life. Um, tell us, maybe say, you know, give us some reason why we should believe this, and do you, I, I, I believe you because I, I, my father, myself, I mean, I, I just, Anita Morjani and all these people, they sort of have the same thing in common, but um, for somebody listening who might not, um, do you feel a need to convince people, or do people have to learn on their own, or how does this all how does this all work? And do you feel I got a lot of questions here, sorry, they're all coming out at once. But do you also feel like it's your responsibility to tell, to tell other people so that if something like this has happened to them, they don't feel completely insane? Yeah, you know, like I had a patient who was being having a special surgery, which I talk about in my book, The Frozen Man. In that case, we could not put the patient on bypass pump for some time, so we literally froze him. There was no blood going through his brain for about 45 minutes. And that patient was describing out-of-body experience and what was happening in the operating room. And I thought this patient is hallucinating because there was not no blood going through his brain for 45 minutes. I actually went ahead and gave him a antipsychotic medication short of Haldol to make him go to sleep and I told him I'll come next day to talk to him but I never went so you know by definition spiritual experiences are very subjective experiences and it cannot be proven either way you know like is there God or there's no God you can't do a lab experiment to prove it so near-death experience or any spiritual experience can be known by the effect it has on the person. You know, regular dreams or hallucinations do not cause a profound change in the person, but near-death experience like Anita Morjani, Eben Alexander, they were profoundly changed after their near-death experience. Yeah, healed in a way too. Are you are you like that too? Are you free of cancer? Yeah, I'm free of cancer. Yeah, and I used to suffer from depression. That got better, and all things got better. And now it's my mission to help people and tell my story that there is something beyond just living for materialistically, to live for a higher purpose, and that higher purpose could be anything you know, taking care of uh, thinking that it is God or spirit, or if you don't, somebody does not believe in God or spirit, it could be preventing child abuse, child pornography, or, you know, anything, nature, or anything higher than your own self. So live with some type of purpose to yourself. And is that regardless of whether or not you have a near-death experience? Oh, yeah. The my, actually, when I talk, I usually say that you don't have to have a near-death experience to transform. You can transform right now. And my three things are prayer, service, and meditation. 
and other mantra I talk about is forgive, love, and heal, because that's very important. You know, forgiveness is not for making the wrong action right or condoning the action, but it is for your own sake. And forgiveness I talk about is at four levels. One is forgiving people who wronged you. Second is asking for forgiveness from people who you hurt. And the third is forgiving your own self for hurting others and forgiving your own self for hurting yourself. And I find the last two to be the most difficult. You You could really spend a lifetime just doing those things. Yeah. Going through your whole life. Did you... uh, Sorry, hang on. Let me stop for a second and take a breath. The, The one thing I wanted to ask you is, it seems to me like the medical world needs you back with this newfound empathy. It seems like you would be the best anesthesiologist and doctor ever because you're actually hearing people now and hearing what they're saying to you and so forth. Have you ever thought of or have you gone back to being uh, a doctor in the capacity that you were before? I've not gone back, but sometimes what you're saying, I feel that, you know, but now I feel to be more helping people at the spiritual level because I feel the wellness is at four levels, physical, mental, social, or heart, and spiritual. So the root cause is usually, like especially with addiction and depression, is trauma, some core wounding. And in my work, this core wounding could be from previous life, from uh, childhood, or from adulthood, or even there's something known as family constellation, where the grandfather had suffered during Holocaust, and now the grandchild who never met the grandfather is showing those symptoms. So instead of just, for me, depression and addiction are symptoms, not the cause. Does anybody ever describe you as so brave? Because to to make all of the changes that you've made and to have that moment where you say okay i'm going to write a book about this i'm going to talk about this openly what happened yep i may get some pushback all these things does does anybody ever call you brave yeah courageous courageous i don't remember reading the word brave but i in the reviews and you know people call me very courageous and i actually am very lucky because my wife supported me in all these changes. You know, after all, uh, it was her house too. It's not just my house. You know, the lifestyle changes. And, you know, we had to uh, make compromises. You know, like I drive a Toyota Camry hybrid. And uh, so my life literally went from Hummer to hybrid, you know, figuratively and literally. But she didn't have the near-death experience, so she didn't have the deep transformation, so she still drives an expensive car. You know, and, uh, you know, so I have to... You would to both hate my, one of our cars. We d- we literally have nicknamed one of our cars the French Frymobile. <laughs> really? This, it's this, no, seriously, it's this white Toyota Sienna minivan. It's, yeah. like, from 2004, but it's, we are having the worst time getting rid of it because it's raised our four teenage boys. And we have yeah. so now we have two boys in college, another one who's a senior and another one who's a freshman. It still has like little kid stickers in the window and everything. <laughs> we yeah. just are having the worst. The kids are like, "Please stop driving this one." No, 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 <laughs> love this car. 
<laughs> the yeah. kids are like, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. funny. I can so, see yeah, we had a suburban like that one time, yeah. <laughs> hard to get Actually, we of. had a van, a Dodge Caravan, and then we bought Suburban, yeah. And yeah. my kids were oh. small, I have three kids, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. And, and so what are they? in college. That's, that's so cool. That kids are the coolest thing. What do they think? They're Clearly, they must be happy that you're alive and well. They're happy, and alive. You know, I have two sons, you know, eldest is 28, 29, and then I have a daughter who's going to dental school in L.A., and then youngest is uh, doing engineering in San Diego. And my boys are like the new dad, but they are kind of agnostic, you know. But they yeah. like the, uh, when the new dad, who's more tolerable, who's more friendly, more accepting, much happier in life. My wife and my daughter uh, were skeptical in the beginning, but as I changed and as the things changed and then they started accepting it more and more. Because one of the definitions I remember from Deepak Chopra, how are you advancing in your life, is how synchronicities happen in your life. In my life, there were a lot of synchronicities. Suddenly my house got sold, and uh, I got this book, uh, co-author, and now... The book became a bestseller, which was beyond my wildest dream. So one thing I just do want to emphasize before we finish, that there are divine beings, like I met angels, Michael and Raphael, who are there to help us for asking. And and right now I feel and I pray to... I don't pray to angels. You don't pray to angels. Only God deserves the prayer. But I asked for help from Angel Gabriel, who's making this communication, speaking, and book doing so good all possible. I believe in angels. I think they're everywhere. I I can't explain it yet or anything like that, but I just, I don't know, people people seem like they're angels even. It's, it's yeah. I can't. I don't know. I, I don't have words for it. I can't articulate it. But it seems like every once in a while you meet a, a real-life angel. And it's the strangest thing, and you may feel like you've known them forever. And and I don't know. I just I believe in angels. Yeah, and they show up. You know, like uh, two days ago, I was in Denver giving a speech, and it was a small workshop, and I was talking about Angel Gabriel, and I was I kept looking at one person. You know, for some reason, I was being attracted to him again and again, and after. The talk, he comes up to me and says, you know, my name is Gabriel. Huh. Yeah, see, that kind of stuff. It's just such a coincidence and such a, a it's like a soul thing. Or I, you know, I'm, I'm doing my own homework and trying to figure it out um, as I go here, too. And, and I, think, I think that's sort of what it's all about. I, can you stay for just like five more minutes? I can ask you just a, two more questions. Sure. Um, I, what I, what I want to ask you is, first of all, is there anything I haven't asked you that you wanted to say? You know, like, uh, you know, like what my conclusion was versus forgive, love, and heal. And mm-hmm. you can transform right now with a practice of service, which I call seva, meditation, and prayer. And then there were the seven eternal truths which I realized from parts of my journey, like first, 
consciousness can exist outside the body this life after death when i met my father from my past life experience we have past lives and future lives especially the past lives affect us when i met the angels that there are divine beings who are there to help us uh, you know ascended masters and then we all are connected to each other so you and me are connected we made of the same thing and the other one was there are different levels of consciousness and one of the way i talk about consciousness based healing is to increase your vibrations and level of consciousness and the things which are not serving you will fall away and you know by meditation and prayer and the last is the pure nature of reality is ultimately unconditional love and intelligence which i call my near death manifesto yeah it's, it's i love that in your book all of those um think all of those um what did you call them again there there's seven uh, eternal truths yeah I, i i loved your explanations of everything there and um can you before we go can you explain what a light what a, a light shout is what's a what's a light shout you know light shout right? yeah is a way of uh, meditation where you imagine you are in the presence of the light being and that's i call a light being other name i give it is a light being meditation like during my workshops i take people on what i call uh, in the presence of the light is basically a visualization exercise and that uh, light shout or light being in presence of the light is very healing and when they leave their body they remain connected to the body and to the earth with a silver cord so i do want to make sure they come back yeah yeah do you ever think maybe you're an angel uh, i communicate with angels but i never thought that way like maybe you're the angel yeah could, could be, be. All way. you never know yeah or, yeah <laughs> you're there are a lot angels of angels here Yeah, our thing yeah. is, yeah. Archangel. <laughs> anyway, yeah. all right. Well, I just wondered if maybe you thought that way because I'm sure I bet as time goes on people will will maybe think that about you. Yeah. I bet somebody will say But that about you. But my aim is point. to serve, you know, like uh that's why I like your title, you know. Uh somebody yeah. reminded me of uh, I was in Montreal 3 weeks ago and somebody asked me in public how do I uh prepare for my life, uh, my death and answer spontaneously came to me it was a, a panel that you prepare for your death by living this life fully in service of others it's true very 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 true i well i i don't want to keep you longer than promised and we're and i already we goofed up the time so i apologize for that's that okay. and um yeah no, but that's thank okay. you i i hope I hope that maybe you'll join us again. It's been very interesting to talk with you sure, and appreciate anytime, your time. Sure, anytime, you know, you after yeah, a few I'd, months, I'd, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so your book is called Dying to Wake Up. Um your website is Dying to Wake Up and people can reach you via your website, Facebook, Twitter. Um yeah. I will post I will post a big blog and link to the radio show and your book and all that good stuff um when we're done here and just um just thank you and um 
I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. I think it's very special. And, and uh, so give your family giant hugs for being so cool. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, everybody, Bye. for listening, too. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening, and um, please visit us at besteveryou.com. If you get a chance, we will go ahead and post this interview and um, post links to, to his book and, and all that good stuff, and I just really appreciate you joining us for the first uh, Best Ever You show of the new season. So thank you, everybody, and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Best Ever You Network. For more information, just visit us at besteveryou.com. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.